the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, in John 9, verse 35, Jesus asked the question, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? Have you trusted Jesus, who he is, what he did on the cross for our sins? Well, this is Alex McFarland, along with Bert Harper. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. And Bert, you know, that is the question of questions, not uh, how far have you traveled, how much money did you make. Life's most important question is, have you believed on the Son of God? That's the question to this day, isn't it? It is, and uh, that will always be in the future. That is the issue. There are some very important questions that's asked in the Bible. What must I do to be saved? Do you believe in the Son of God? So, Alex, good questions really are important. And in, in our conversations, in studying the Bible, that's the reason at the end of each program, the last segment, Monday through Thursday, we take questions, and uh, those questions really are a blessing to us. So good questions are great, but the greatest question, again, as you just said, what will you do with Jesus? Uh, Do you believe in the Son of God? What must I do to be saved? Uh, Notice they're all connected to our relationship with God, aren't they? Well, they really are. And you know, what's so beautiful, and we're in John chapter 9, wrapping that up, we'll get into John chapter 10 on today's edition of the program, and if if you've got a Bible, you know, turn there. Bert, isn't it wonderful that believing is something anybody can do? It doesn't say um, you've got to walk 500 miles on a pilgrimage, because a paralyzed person couldn't do that. And it doesn't say that you've got to buy your way into a relationship with God, because Maybe somebody who was poor couldn't do that. But anybody can believe by responding to the revelation that God's given. Because, yes, belief is a mental exercise, but it's a heart change, too. And and what it means to believe on the name of the Son of God, well, you're, you're acknowledging a couple of things. You're acknowledging that you're a sinner and you're accountable to God, and then you're... you're sorry for your sins. And Bert, repentance is is a word that means to turn around and go a different direction. But I really think that um, there's an old Bible word, you don't hear it much anymore, it's the word contrition or, or sorrow, to really admit and say, you know, God loves me, God made me, God is holy, and I am sorry that I sinned against God, and I'm going to acknowledge that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me, to be my Lord and Savior, and, Lord, come into my life. Um, Anybody can do that. It's not can you do it. The question is will you do it. And we pray that you will. And if you are struggling, you're wondering if you are and not, we have partners, and we give their number quite often, Triple Eight Need Him. And you can call them, talk with them. They'll pray with you. They'll help you. They'll give you Bible verses and strengthen you. Just uh, they're there for us. Now, Alex, before that question is asked, I can't help but see one of the most prideful questions that's ever been asked. And it's asked by them. Listen to verse 34. It's about the Pharisees talking to the man who was healed. And the man who was healed was really given them a lesson on who Jesus Christ and what he had done. He didn't know him fully, but he knew enough. But listen to this, verse 34, they answered, this is the Pharisees, and said to him, you were completely born in sins. Are you teaching us? (laughs) Are you trying to teach us? We know everything. We're Mm. the ones that's been to this school. We've been out there. Alex, I have found out men with common sense, regardless of their education level, and women with, regardless of that, have good common sense and know God. You remember what David said? I'm smarter than all, wiser than all my teachers. And here it is. 
and they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said to them, and then he asked that question, but isn't it interesting that Jesus not only healed him, but now he comes back to him to encourage him and even to the point where he trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. I, you, we ask this all the time. Uh, how much light do you have to get be saved? When God gives you light, if you respond to that light, he gives you more light. And when I say light, I'm talking about information. I'm talking about knowledge. I'm talking about uh, what you need to know. And this, but this prideful attitude of the Pharisees, I, I really believe that's one of the main reasons people don't get saved. They think they're sufficient on their own. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what, Bert? I mean, you and I have been blessed that we um, have gotten to go to some great schools like Blue Mountain College or Liberty University. And um, I felt so privileged. You know, I sat under this man. Many listeners will know his name. I'm sure Dr. Harold Wilmington. And he's one of many I could name. And you've got a, a, a professor that I think made a big impact on you. What was his name, Bert? Dr. James Travis. He Dr. Just, James uh, Travis. Yeah, yeah, he did. And we, we've been very blessed, but I, I will tell you, I've talked to a lot of people, and they'll, before you can even hardly share much gospel, they'll go off on a rabbit trail about something that's just very erroneous, not even factual at all, you know. And there have been times I've said, wait, 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 no, no, listen, this is what happened. You know, Jesus was born. He was seen by eyewitnesses. And, you know, in verse 34, um, it's interesting where they, they accuse Jesus. They say, thou wast altogether born in sin. Well, no, he wasn't. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin and had no sin nature. And Isaiah seven fourteen, which predicted this 750 years before the birth of Christ, said that this would be a sign to the whole house of Israel, that, you know, a virgin would conceive and bear a child. And part of the, the Messiahship of Jesus was that he did not, have a sin nature. The Bible says, in him was no iniquity at all. And I've always wondered something if, um, you know, they're, they're saying, look, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do a miracle on the Sabbath. You can't forgive sin. They missed out. Jesus was not a mere man. Now, he was a man, fully man, but not fallen man. And because he did not have a sin nature, and he wasn't born in sin like the rest of us. He was qualified to be our, our Savior. But, um, Bert, I, I've often thought about this. That revealed in verse 34 of John 9, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know his holy, righteous, divine nature, did he? Did they, they did not. And this man who had been sinned uh, knew if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Is what this man who had been, I mean, he... He was wiser than these Pharisees that were talking. And then in verse 34, like they said, they said to the man, they answered and said to him, and it's talking to the man that had been healed, says, you were completely born in sins. Are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They cast the man out. And Jesus heard they cast that man out. And then Jesus found him. That I love those words. Jesus found him. Now, Alex uh, Jesus is ready. He is looking for anyone that would turn their heart toward him. And with all my heart, he will make it happen. If you turn your heart toward God, he's going to bring to you what you need to do, know and to do. And he yes. did for this man. Well, later on, uh, Jesus uh, says, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see might not see. And they which see not might see, that they which see might be made blind. Now, some of the Pharisees, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, these guys are pretty slow to the draw, but they're like, wait a minute, he's talking about us. <laughs> and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? Now, Jesus said this, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. See, they were... You know, there, there's physical blindness, but there's even worse, spiritual blindness. There's physical infirmity, 
but there's even worse, being spiritually bound. And they did know, they had all this revelation, they intimately knew the Scriptures, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And here, standing right before them, is God and truth incarnate. And they were rejecting him. And so they weren't blind. They saw, but they willfully rejected. That's why their sin and their judgment hung over their heads, Bert. It is amazing. Now, Jesus is showing this. Who are they talking about? They are talking about the man who was blind from birth. And now he sees, and he is not only seen physically, he sees Christ uh, spiritually, because in verse 38 and 39, it says, he said, Lord, I believe, because Jesus said, you have both seen him, and he is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he was, that same day, physical blindness was gone, spiritual blindness was gone, but the Pharisees remained in their spiritual blindness. Jesus uses this, it's, it's a beautiful word picture, Alex, to see, uh, it's beautiful to see it for the man. It's horrible to see that the Pharisees would remain in their unbelief when they had more evidence, they, they had more teaching, they saw the miracles, and yet they remained in their sin. And so mm-hmm. that ends chapter 9, but we come to chapter 10, and this is the great, this is a great chapter. Uh, each one of them seems to build on the other, Alex. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it goes on, and John 10, uh, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the shepherd. And Jesus is going to be talking very specifically about the one road, the narrow way. You don't come in through the shepherd, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay, Bert, you... When I was in Bible school as a little child, we sang a song, So high you can't go over it, so low you can't go under it, so wide you'll never go around it, you must come in at the door. I was talking about Jesus, who's the door to heaven, isn't it? It is, and he is the one. And notice, the same person that tries to come in some other way is a thief and a robber. He points it out, and again, who is he talking to? He's talking to these Pharisees who are trying to come in some other way. Their idea is any way but Jesus. That's that's everything. That's what they and who they had rejected, and they remained in their sin. We're going to come back and continue in John chapter 10. There's some awesome verses when he says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door. You don't want to miss it. A teenage jihadist comes to Christ. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and I met young Ahmed when I visited the Middle East. His father died fighting for ISIS, his mother was an extremist, and young Ahmed was going to be a suicide bomber by killing himself and others being sold out to violent Islam. Now, his mother and siblings, they came to Christ. They prayed nonstop for his salvation, and when it came, he was beaten nearly to death by extremists. And when I caught up with him several villages over, I asked, Ahmed, what's your Bible mean to you? And he said, I can look here and see where Jesus says they'll hate you because they hated me and where Jesus says I'm with you always. Now listen, having a Bible, it meant everything to him and gave him perspective and his prayer was for believers there who need God's word to endure and persevere and I said, Ahmed, those Bibles they're coming. $5 sins a Bible, $50 sins 10 $500 sins 100 Please in this season of giving, bless the persecuted church by calling 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or give it sendbiblesnow.org sendbiblesnow.org and God bless you for caring. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking God for the physical nourishment we need to stay alive. But Dr. Tony Evans says there's another kind of nutrition that's even more important. He'll take us to John 6.35 to discover what it is as we spend two minutes with Tony. I am the bread of life. He's talking about the Old Testament in the wilderness when the bread of life came down from heaven called manna. Manna in Hebrew is a question, it means what is it? It was the supernatural provision of God for his people from heaven. Verse 41 says, I am the bread of life, come down from heaven. So what Jesus is saying is, 
What God fed you physically in the wilderness, my job is to feed you spiritually in your day-to-day life. Just as when your body gets hungry, it needs a supply of bread, your soul gets hungry and it needs a bigger supply of me. Do you know what it is to have hot bread come out the oven when you are hungry and you get some butter and jelly on that thing and it just satisfies your gizzard? I mean, it satisfies you deep down within. Jesus is saying, just as your stomach needs to be satisfied with food, your soul needs to be satisfied with life. And I am your bread. I am your satisfaction for eternal life, and I am your substance for living this life. The Bible makes it clear that there's only one way to guarantee an eternal future in heaven. Visit TonyEvans.org and click on the Jesus link in the top menu. Tony will tell you all about it and connect you with some free resources that'll walk you through the next steps. Check it out today, then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn And your grace rings out so deep It makes my resistance seem so thin So hold me Jesus Cause I'm shaking like a leaf You have been king of my glory Won't you be He desires to be your Prince of Peace. If your difficulties are more than you can even dream, Jesus Christ can bring peace in the midst of the storm. And in John chapter 10, we find out that Jesus knows the name of each one of his sheep. Now, a good shepherd knew each one of his sheep. They were marked. They had distinguishing things about them that probably no one else could see and nobody else would know. But a good shepherd knows each one of the sheep and he knows their tendencies. Jesus Christ is that good shepherd and he knows his sheep and he calls them by name and he leads them. Alex, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, isn't he? Well, absolutely. And this is just, you know, John uh, ten fourteen is one of my favorite verses. And, but it makes it clear here, and this is, you know, these are the words of Christ. It's in red ink, and I love the red-letter Bible because I love to read what Jesus actually said. And he says that, you know, his true sheep do not follow a stranger but will flee from a stranger, verse 5, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. You know, it's amazing, Bert. I was um, talking to a, a gentleman yesterday who was a, a baby Christian in California, you know, years ago, and he was a, approached by a cult that urged him to join. And th- this man, he was telling me, he said, at that point in my Christian life, I didn't know anything. I just, as a 20-something, ha- had accepted Christ. He said, I didn't know any Bible, didn't know anything. But he said, this group was pressuring me to join and I just knew somehow it, it didn't ring true in my heart. And later on, he said, he as he learned and grew in the Lord, some years later he realized with horror how close he might have come to joining a cult. But he said, something in my heart told me it wasn't of God. Now here's the thing, verse 5 of John 10, a sheep will flee from the voice of the stranger. And that's why, folks, that, that we are always saying, you know, know the Word of God intimately. And, and every day, every hour of every day, be praising God and talking to the Lord. Uh, because, look, there are dozens of beliefs competing for the hearts and minds and souls of people. And we want to know the voice of the shepherd. You know, we, we sheep, we want to know. And that's, uh, how do you do it? Well, the litmus test is Scripture. Because, Bert, I'm going to say this. Something that is truly of God will not ever, ever, ever contradict the Bible, will it? It will not. The Word of God standeth sure. It stands on a sure foundation. It is the foundation of God. He spoke it. And like you said, get that red-letter edition and read these words. And verse 6, really, again, it says, Jesus used this illustration about the sheep and the doorkeeper, the shepherd, 
but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They were spiritually dead, and they were Mm -hmm. dull of hearing. And so then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He says, Okay, you don't get this. Let me make it as plain as I can. I am the door of the sheep. I'm the one that lets them in and lets them out. I am the one that keeps those out that do not belong in. All who have ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and pass and and have fine pasture. Now, Alex, Jesus is making it clear to the Pharisees, and he's getting. Let me make this. He's been plain for those that would hear, but he's getting more simplistic uh, or simple. Shouldn't say simplistic. Simple in what he's saying. He says, "I'm the door," and and the sheep come in. I'm the one that determines who comes in and goes out. And so Alex here, Jesus is saying, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The only way to have that is through Christ Jesus. The Pharisees said earlier, said, we're Moses. That's what he said in chapter 9, verse uh, verse 28. We're Moses' disciples. Let me just tell you, Moses' disciples do not come in unless they come in through the sheep, which is Jesus Christ. Regardless of how you think you may have kept the law, Paul said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Concerning the law, I was perfect. I had kept it really well, completely, as best I could, and I still needed Jesus. So, Alex, if Paul, in his life and his zeal, and his way of following the law, if he did couldn't make it, I don't think anybody listening to us is going to make it on their own merits. What about you? Well, that's true. That's true. And it goes on. It talks about, look at this, um, thieves, false uh, teachers, hirelings, robbers, wolves. You know, verse 12 talks about uh, wolves. Look, anybody that says to you, uh, you don't need Jesus. That's false. If somebody says Jesus didn't really claim to be the one and only Son of God, that's false. If somebody says to you, um, you know, just do your best, take your chances. If there is a heaven, we'll all get in. That's false. And so there's all these wolves about thieves, robbers, hirelings, a lot of condemning words of anyone that would teach a way to heaven apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? Uh, there's a much in here in, in uh, twelve thirteen about a hireling. And Bert, um, what translation do you have? Do you have a King James? I'm have? in the New King James, and it says hireling. It means a hired man, someone that is hired. And it says, but he who is a hireling or a hired man and not the shepherd one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming in, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. This is just a job. But for yeah, Jesus Christ, it was more than that. We're his. He's the owner of the sheep, isn't he? he we've been bought That's with a price. Well, you know, and sometimes, folks, um, and I want to say a good word for the wonderful pastors that are in it for God and for the gospel, uh, you'll hear the phrase under-shepherd. Now, Jesus, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep uh, know me. Uh, Under-shepherds, sometimes you might hear, and that's that's like a pastor. Now, there are some that are hirelings. They're doing it for the job. They're just doing it because it's, it's like a, you know any other career path. But then there are the people like I know Bert Harper was at West Jackson, and so many I could name that are truly not, they're not hirelings, but just like Jesus laid down his life to see the world be saved, a good local pastor who's an under-shepherd that would pour their life out for their parishioners, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it, Bert? It really is, and and the under-shepherd is under the great shepherd, and we make Amen. much of the great shepherd. We are part of his, and we share, we feed. Going back 
again, this is one of the themes in the book of uh, John. You remember at the end, we come and Jesus says, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And that is the command for pastors today. We're to feed the flock of God. Yes, we're to be an example to them in visitation. We're to be an example of them in soul winning. We're to be an example of them in tithing. But I am telling you, being the example, it's more than being an example. It is taking the word of God and delivering it day, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday night, sharing the word of God that they may grow thereby. That's the way we grow. We feed upon the word of God. And so Alex, he makes it plain in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. There it is. I am. I am. One of the great I am. Seven of them in the book of John. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Those who know uh, I own, they know me. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Notice what Jesus does here is he's teaching, and I believe the Pharisees are listening his best. There's no place where it shows them departing. He is, again, Father God, my Father. That's a that's a declaration of, of sonship. And here, even in this midst of this relationship of those who follow Christ and Christ knowing them by name, he relates it back to the Father. Jesus is always making much of his Father, isn't he? Well, he always is. And he says he's come to do the will of the Father. And, you know, Bert, this, uh, when I was a brand new believer, was a little hard to get my head around. He said, I do not speak of mine, but the words of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus, he said he wasn't here to do his own will. Now, obviously, the will of the Father and the will of the Son were always in agreement, right? But he is our role model, and he was saying that, um, you know, he was here to fulfill the work that the Father had given him to do. So as as his um, role as the Good Shepherd and the one trusting the Father to even his life on Calvary's cross, he's our role model to fully trust the Father, even though he himself was God incarnate. And, you know, speaking of Calvary, verse 18, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment I've received of my Father. Now, as has happened already, there was a division. And Bert, it's hard to even read verse 20. Many of them said, he has a devil. He is mad. Why are you listening to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So that's like C.S. Lewis said, look, this is not a liar or a lunatic. This must be the Lord. And so Jesus, with unflinching consistency, is demonstrating the proof of his deity. Now, some thought he was crazy. But you know what, Bert? The people that are dismissive of Jesus... That's not a reflection on Jesus. They're really showing their own blindness, aren't they? They really are, and you can't help, again, notice John. He is so consistent. When you read this about can a demon open the eyes of the blind, you remember uh, they've observed him doing this. You remember Nicodemus came to see Jesus by night. Do you remember his opening remarks? He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he was going to find further information that Jesus was God, and and he would trust him. But here, when we look at these, and these are Pharisees, uh, and and again, Nicodemus, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the leadership uh, Pharisee, and here it is, they're still blind. But many of them have opened their eyes. We're talking about some of the Pharisees, because later on we'll find out it says, Many of the Pharisees did believe, but that division was there, Alex. And guess what? It would continue all the way through the book of Acts. You remember the Apostle Paul? He would go into a town. He would preach the gospel, and here's what you would happen. You would have some would believe. Others would walk away in disbelief. And there'd be a few that said, well, we, we don't know yet. We want to hear more. And so, Alex, the, the gospel... When you present it, 
There's a division that's going to automatically, those that believe and those that do not. And so we need to preach the gospel. We need to be strong in saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. There is no alternate. There is no plan B. It is Christ and Christ alone. Uh, that was established a long time ago here in the Word of God, wasn't it? Well, exactly, exactly. Now, it's interesting, folks, if you ever go to Jerusalem, and I hope you will, if you can make a trip to the Holy Land while you're in this world, you ought to do that, I think. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, verse 23. Bert, Solomon's porch is still there. It I sure mean, is, yeah. Hey, Alex, and, let me make this. There's yeah. a break between verse 21 and 22. Uh, That's true. And it's matter of fact, most scholars think it's about a two-month break, and that was between when he was there and when he came back. So go ahead. I just wanted to make sure this is not like this is the next thing that happened. This would happen many days later. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and they were still talking because they said, look, if you really are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, well, I've told you, and you didn't really believe me. And again, he talks about his sheep knowing his voice. Uh, and But, Bert, it, it's amazing. It's gone from summer to winter, some weeks, if not a couple of months, and they're still talking about him. And he maintains that he is the Messiah. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, verse 29 and nothing can pluck them out of my hand. He says that twice. But then in verse 30, he's going to throw this bombshell. All right, they ask the question, if you're the Christ, tell us. And he says, I and my Father are one. And again, Hallelujah. they went to get rocks. I, I mean, so he answered their question, but it wasn't the answer they wanted. Alex, 29 and 30 are so powerful. Again, the book of John, each chapter, you'll come into a, a, a teaching, a statement by Christ that just uh, is overwhelming. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And again, they took the stones. But listen, Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my Father, by which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself God. Listen, yeah. his teaching was right. They would not receive it, but Jesus declared who he was to them. Yeah. They rejected it. You want to take phone calls this segment, Alex? Let's do it. 888-589-8840. It's interesting. There in verse 30, Jesus says, really, my, my Father and I as one exist. <laughs> Jesus, the nature of God. Folks, when we come back, your phone calls on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Don't go away. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. See, we don't have to engage in psychological brainwashing techniques and all this nonsense that the left traffics in because they're godless. For the most part, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, that's how we fight. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. 
Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Psalm 27.4. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, you're listening to the American Family Radio Network, and you can hear this show again or other great programming at AFR.net. You can send us an email at word at AFR.net. But right now, we want to pick up the phone, and we want to talk to you. And that number, if you have a Bible question, is 888-589-8840. Well, Bert... um, you're you're in front of that computer where you can answer the phone. So yeah, I, I can operate a computer by clicking the mouse. So that that's uh-huh. my abilities with a computer. But we're going to go to first Arkansas and talk to Mark. Welcome, Mark. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well Good. today. How are you? Fine, thank you. My question is: I know the Bible speaks of people being saved after the rapture, but uh, on Jan Markell's program Sunday, she had a guest on there that said. Just hours after the rapture, when people realize what happened, that there's going to be tens of thousands of people saved all over the world. I just didn't know how biblically accurate that was, and I would just want your perspective on it, please. Well, listen, we know they're going to be saved. At that moment, I can see it happening if they've been taught that. In in Revelation chapter 7, let me read this. Mm -hmm. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms, branches in their hands. Salvate, they were crying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And they started talking about who is this? And verse 14, and I said to them, sir, you know. So he said, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, Alex, uh, could be immediately or could be ongoing, but there's going to be a great multitude of all nations. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You know, Bert, I, I grew up and I heard preachers say that those that had not believed prior to the rapture absolutely could not be saved after the rapture, but there's really nowhere in the Bible that really says that. Now, Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, talks about that there would be a strong delusion. You know, I think there's, there's delusion in the world right now. And and the word translated as strong delusion is is like the word deceit or deception. And, um, you know, we just don't know. Let me just say this. I, I can guarantee how you can not risk falling prey to a strong delusion, and that's to get saved now while you have an opportunity. But so many people will be martyred Revelation talks about all the the countless people that will be executed by the Antichrist and his regime. 
Um, we know there'll be at least 144,000 Jewish believers that will come to Christ and be beheaded during the tribulation. But um, let me let me say, um, don't risk your soul. Get saved now while you have an opportunity. Amen. Today's the day of salvation. Let's go to North Carolina and talk to Mark. Welcome, Mark. Yes, thank you, uh, Bert and Alex. You're talking about what must we do to be saved, and when Jesus and the Holy Spirit you referred to Acts, and I'm reading here in Acts about on the day of Pentecost. Could you comment then on that very statement on uh, verse Acts 2, verse 37 and 38? Okay, Alex, you go ahead with that, and I'll look it up. Uh, Acts 2, 37 and 38. Yeah, 30, about. And, yes. yes, and it says, uh, when they heard this, in their heart, they were pricked in their heart, and they said, men and brethren, what should we do? Uh, Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sin. Now, I suspect that the import of the call is that bapt- water baptism is necessary for salvation. Let me tell you why. Even if this were the only verse we had, uh, clearly uh, Peter preaches repent and believe, but the, there's um, a conjunction there, and it really means repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus upon the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, we've said a number of times the New Testament uses the word baptism in a couple of senses. I, I think water baptism is a wonderful thing, but that is not what gets you saved. I mean, over and over in the New Testament, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus. Look at 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's not one thing in that verse about water baptism. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, Paul said, uh, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are baptized into Christ. That's Galatians 3. Now, water baptism is your public declaration, just like putting on a wedding ring is not what gets you married. You wear a wedding ring, and it shows the world that you are espoused to somebody, but it's faith in Jesus that gets you saved, not water baptism. Okay, Mark. Hope that helps you, brother. Let's go to Texas and talk to Dennis. Welcome, Dennis. Hello. How are you guys doing? Doing well today. Got a quick question. First of all, I want to make a comment about the baptism. Uh, the water baptism is a commitment, but the follow-through is the internal baptism. But anyway, uh, moving on, yeah. my question is uh, regarding in uh, Matthew 5, where it talks about uh, if you divorce your wife, except for the cause of uh, fornication, that you'll commit adultery. What are you guys thought on all that? Okay, God... God says it was in the beginning, one man, one woman, not not anything but that. And it is a covenant. It's more than a contract. And so the adultery takes place. It's breaking a covenant, not only breaking the covenant that you had with the spouse, but you're making the a covenant that you made before God. And so it is adultery. Uh, a person can get divorced. They don't have to get a divorce. But let me just tell you, Dennis, we're living in a day when divorce is an option that is too quickly taken for any reason. That is, it is, it is hurting uh, the church. It's hurting our society. It's hurting families. Uh, so, Alex, adultery, yes. Desertion, yes. Uh, abuse is one of those things. If you don't get divorced, there needs to be a separation. But go ahead, Alex. Well, you know, so many of the old, you know, marriage vows said that we are to enter this union soberly, advisedly, you know, and marriage is a serious thing. Now, I want to say this. For those that have been divorced um, for for whatever reason, the 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 thing that I'd love to get across is, Bert, you don't have to live the rest of your days on this earth in remorse and regret. I mean, admit if it was—every divorce is painful. Um, if it was, quote-unquote, scriptural or not, but confess and say, God, help me where I am and help me to move forward. Um, you know, I do think that um, uh, 
you know, we need to be very, very careful. <laughs> I, I just had a pastor call me last week about a couple came for marriage, and the nice couple, and not that old. And it turned out both had been married five times previously. And this pastor who called for some counsel, uh, he, he said, I'm not going to do this ceremony, and they were angry. But, Bert, I do think that um, personally and collectively as the body of Christ, we've got to do more to elevate the stature of marriage in our culture, don't you? We do, and desperately needed. Uh, Dennis, we hope that helps you, brother. Thank you. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Jimmy. Jimmy, welcome. Hey, uh, thank you all so much for taking my call. Here's my question. Uh, and I really, your program's awesome. Uh, just God bless y'all, man. Uh, anyhow, I have the King James Version reference Bible, the 1611 version. And then I heard a guy the other day talking about English translations. Look, I understand that. All of them are translated. But then I heard, I believe it was Mr. Bird earlier talk, uh, reading something out of the New King James and I'm just wondering uh, about y'all's confidence in another Bible being the Word of God. And I'd like to hang up and listen if y'all don't mind, but that's my question. Does that make sense? It does, sure. Jimmy. Thank you for calling. Listen, you find Alex and I love the King James Version. It is a translation, as you said. Now, when you say 1611, uh, that if it was, it's got some difficulty. It's more difficult than the King James will have today because it's got it's written kind of like the Mayflower Compact. You ever read the original? What it said in oh, the Mayflower, yes. you know, and the yes. and the King James sixteen eleven is that way. The New King James version is an awesome version. Uh, it it doesn't use thine and thou. It doesn't use the cometh, and it changes a few of the words that were. Uh, I, I would say older and not understood and putting it into language today. New King James Version is an awesome, awesome version. Go ahead, Alex. Well, yeah, and, you know, um, you hear the phrase 1611 King James Bible a lot. Uh, there's a 99.999% chance that the King James Bible you have was the 1769 edition. Now, why? Because translations are a word exchange program. God gave his word to the ancient Israelites in Hebrew. The New Testament was largely written in Greek. And uh, whether you take the original, the, they're called the autographa, or the, the original text, and you put it in Spanish, or Chinese, or Hindi, or Bimba, or, or you know, Filipino, or whatever, or English, um, which is the accurate Bible? Any Bible. Any Bible is accurate when the words are swapped out. So listen, whether you've got, you know, a, a, a King James edition that says, you know, I wot not what thou do, W-O-T, or you've got a more modern, I know not, you know, uh, it's all conveying the same thing. Now, uh, so don't don't be alarmed if if somebody reads from the King James, which is, like I say, in all probability, you do not have a 1611 King James. You have a 1769, which even, you know, King James had been out a century and a half, and they had to update it. Um, you know, people say, what about the New King James? Well, which New King James? The New King James that most people have is from 1982, you know. And then there's the New American Standard and the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, Bert, I want to encourage people. I could count on five fingers the English translations that you ought to really, really stay away from. One is the New World translation that the Jehovah's Witnesses put out to purposely mislead people. One from the 60s called Good News for Modern Man. That that had an agenda. There was one called the TNIV, uh, TNIV published by Zondervan about 15 years ago. But, Bert, whether it's uh, NLT, ESV, HCSB, uh, NASB, New King James, we're blessed to have a lot of good Bibles in English. We are. I would make this recommendation for Bible publishers. Spend your time trans uh, getting translations to, to, 
to countries and languages that do not have the Bible translated in their language. Amen. Um, I mean, I, I don't. We don't I, need any new English translations for any, about 200 years. We don't. We don't. So anyway, let's go to Texas and talk to William. William, welcome. Howdy, pilgrims. Yes, go right I, ahead. I, 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 uh, I could listen to you cats read a phone book. All but right. Mr. William, are you on a, are you on speakerphone? Yes, sir. Do I need to turn that yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, go. It's just, echoing. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. Echoing. Go ahead. Yeah, I got some background noise, but uh, there's better. Thank you all, Mr. McFarland. Thank you for loosing some chains on me. I have been carrying this a long time. The divorce of feeling regret and remorse, uh, but you just loosed some chains for me. Thank you very much. To okay. God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let me, who you are. Yeah, let me say a word to that. Listen, confess your part of the wrong in the marriage. Uh, Alex, I tried to ask somebody that's coming to me that's been married before, and they're going to get married now. I would ask them, tell me what you did wrong in your first marriage. What did you learn not to do and to do in, in, in that marriage that you're going to do it differently? And and so, pa- pastors, uh, ask those questions. You're you're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to help them so there can be a success. So you won't have this person. What five? You said that guy and lady, five on each five side. Five on each side. I, I just say these things ought not to be. And so, William, thank you. We're gonna try to get another call in, and it is from Oregon, and it's Chris. Welcome, Chris. Yeah. Hi. Um, I just had a quick question with regard to Mark sixteen sixteen, and maybe even Acts two thirty eight. Uh, wouldn't a lot of those um, verses um, be maybe make more sense if we understood them in light of being understood as spirit baptism versus uh, water baptism? I don't believe water baptism saves. Okay, Chris. And, uh, so I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Thank you. We hadn't got a lot of time. Alex, take that away because you started it and say Mark sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then after the Lord, I'm sorry, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned, Mark 16, 16. Okay, let me say this. You know, what's interesting is, you know, we talk about the the spiritual side of baptism. Um, In a way, the heart is water baptized because it floats in a sack of water called the pericardium. Uh, Notice the fault is not uh, condemned for not having been baptized in Mark sixteen sixteen, condemnation is for those who have not believed. So it's belief that baptizes you into Christ and you are saved. Let me just say this real quickly. You do find baptism added on to believe in, a, in some, but the one you find in every place in order to be saved is believe, trust, That is it. It's in faith alone, in Christ alone. I pray that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Make sure he is Lord of your life. Alex, tomorrow is Fire Away Friday. You ready? I'm ready for it. It's going to be good. Amen. So tell someone about exploring the Word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.